Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. Hey guys, this is Brett Deister, host of PR360, and this is part two of Ed Feingold's interview. Hope you enjoy it. And as always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. All right. Enjoy part two of his interview. That's a pretty good thing to say. <laughs> Make sure you have that skill set brushed up on. How can teams accurately analyze and capture this data to help with the higher ups be more comfortable about what you're doing to attract attention or sales? Sometimes they don't care. It's kind of funny. Sometimes people the top of an organization don't necessarily care. They get excited about maybe seeing the company's name in a big publication. They get excited when they see new content that uses that come out like we just discussed. And that's the kind of stuff that they want to see is you're creating deliverables and you're producing it. And if you are in a situation where folks are very, very focused on numbers, I actually think of all the number crunching that you can do, earned media is probably the most straightforward. It's not really hard to figure out, you know, same example, you have a Reuters story that goes into 20 global newspapers. It's not really that hard to figure out what the size of the readership on those newspapers is and how far that went and put some kind of a value on that, on that earned media that relatively straightforward. There's also a lot of tools, vendors out there that do that sort of thing for you. If you want to invest in that kind of thing, I actually think it's harder when you're doing, let's say demand gen campaigns and you're really, really trying to understand the connection between search engine optimization and putting the word out there in the media and putting links out there and how many of those people are coming back and then who's downloading what, and then did that actually result in some kind of a sale? I, I think that whole mechanism from a measurement point of view is actually much, much more complex. Yeah. I mean, SEO and social media are probably the hardest to actually accurately report because for social media, it seems like the most important data is always changing. It's not awareness anymore. It's comments. It's like it's other things than what it originally was. No, I agree. And it's like a black magic kind of an art to, to figure out. And for folks that aren't versed in it at all, I don't even want to say well-versed in it because I don't think that there's a ton of people that are well-versed in it. But if you have any experience with it, Versus communicating then, let's say, to your stakeholders, your managers who may have no experience in SEO or in something like Google Analytics at all, the frustration for them is why can't I tie this activity where I'm spending money on advertising back to whether or not that translated into a sale of my product, especially in a big tech software solutions kind of business. I'm not talking about e-commerce, abandoned shopping carts and all that sort of thing. I'm talking about things that where the sales cycle is not like an online product that you're selling. Their frustration is having trouble tying all those elements together. And so how you craft that story internally to give folks an idea of how are these numbers benefiting us and what does all this gobbledygook mean, I think is also another communication skill and it's not easy to do. That's true. And is there any way you could keep this momentum going? Let's say the story that you told us you want it to go for like a few months. Is there another way of retelling the story in a different spin? Or is it just retelling it in the same way, just tweaking it a little bit? Again, different stories will have different life cycles. So some of them 
depending on who's involved and what the willingness, let's say on the client side is just may not last that long a cycle. I think this racket tent story was a somewhat unique situation where it was a really big story that had this very compelling life of its own. Some stories aren't going to go much more than a week or a month. And that's just the reality of it. Sometimes you can tell those stories too, though, where you may have multiple stories that only lasted a week or a month, but then those are all proof points of, you know, maybe your company's overall success story that you can bring back later and say, Hey, you know, you remember that in February, we announced this in March, we announced this and in April, we announced this. Well, here we are in September and people are waking up from the summer again. And we want to start telling the story about how the year went. And then you can go back to those stories and it's like the clip show a little bit. <laughs> and hopefully you have some kind of an updated message going into, let's say the end of the year or the new year that ties all those threads together and makes them interesting again. There's certainly that aspect of it. And then I think there's another component of it where, like we said before, can you tell subsequent chapters of that same story? So in some cases, it's keeping track of a project that's delivering its milestones that, that if you have cooperation from the customer, you can announce that maybe that story about the client is tied into some other really big industry trend. And you can pivot the story in that direction, right? So if you look, for example, at the Rakuten story, and they're talking about building a cloud native 5G network, and let's say they didn't have subsequent tales to tell about their progress in that that you want to talk about. Well, those other threads may still be very relevant. Well, who else is doing cloud native things? How has the industry responded to that announcement? How are you as a company helping your other customers to learn from that experience and then do something of their own that's really innovative and novel? So th there's a little bit of a segue there. And I think that's, again, all part of the art of storytelling. It's just that then the perspective is you're telling the story of your brand and bringing those elements in as opposed to, okay, this story for the media's perspective is really about our customer and we want to be a part of it. We're just not necessarily the ones pulling the strings on where the story's going. And is it better to actually have small core team or is it better to have big ones? I feel like there can be pros and cons to both of them, but I feel like a, a small core team could at least help mitigate the leaks that might happen. I agree with that. Having a smaller team is good because it's a little bit easier to align everybody and know what everybody's role is and everybody can change directions together faster. It's a little bit easier to get on regular calls with a relatively small group of people that have very defined skill sets and defined roles and get them all pulling in the same direction or changing direction together and just having that team effort to to keep things moving. I think when you start getting into really big distributed teams, even just the practicality of getting everybody on the phone at the same time can be very difficult, especially if you're spread across time zones. So in that instance, the other problem that can happen with large teams is it can become very bureaucratic. So if you have a corporate structure that's very bureaucratic and requires an enormous number of checks or just some political aspect of everybody needing to have a say or some buy-in, that's going to slow down the process. And I think especially in this media environment, if you slow down the process just by way of mass, you're just not going to keep up with where the story's going. And I have to imagine in, in that case, it's very, very difficult to get ahead of the story. In our case, we had a relatively small, lean, agile, and pretty well-coordinated team. So it made it a little bit easier to stay ahead of things and be able to say what we wanted to say using good judgment without needing 20 sign-offs to get there. 
yeah, I mean, it seems like a small team can coordinate a little bit better and move when they need to move or pivot when they need to pivot. Yes, and everybody needs to know what they're doing. I say that for two reasons. One is because if you're someone who's coming up in this industry, I think it's really important to really work on all these skills that we've talked about because you want to be a really valuable member of that kind of team. So even if you don't have all the experience, if you're someone that reads a lot, can process a lot of information and summarize it clearly, can be the voice to say, okay, this is what I see happening on social media and what I see the media talking about and put that into some kind of a succinct, actionable format that everyone can consume. That's a really valuable skill to bring that doesn't necessarily require 20 years of experience and know-how and battle scars and all that sort of thing. But if you are going to have a small team in general, you really need to have folks on that team that know their skill sets really well. Someone's got to be a good writer. Someone's got to be good at talking to the media. Someone's got to be a good storyteller. Someone's got to be good at working the internal mechanics of the company and have the right relationships to do it. So there really isn't room for anybody to kind of ride along. You certainly can have people that are involved that are learning as you go, but you can't have more people learning as they go than you have people that have done it before, in my opinion. All right. That's some pretty solid advice right there. But speaking of comm directors, how do you effectively message to different teams within the company of what's going on in the PR marketing efforts? Because I'm pretty sure each different team, sales or higher up, want different types of metrics. Yeah, for sure. And in a big corporation, some of those things are baked in. So how do you communicate internally to different groups? Well, sometimes you have things like a, a corporate newsletter, you have your company blog, you may have various check-in calls with different teams where, you know, you need to make a report. You might have email lists that you send out to internally, right? There's sort of like built-in mechanisms that you can use to varying degrees. But again, I think there's no substitute for having personal relationships with key people. So it can be you're talking to your account owners or your general managers in different regions on a regular basis. You may be interfacing with someone who's on the C-level and really giving them what they need, like the dossier that they need to go report to the rest of the C-level what's happening. There's that element of, I don't know if it's managing your managers, but it's really preparing your manager. And they want to be in a position where they're very confident that what they're getting from you is really well-formed so that they're able to communicate that to others without worrying about its veracity, let's say, or how well-prepared it's going to be, or that you haven't anticipated questions that they might get from some of the other folks at that level and prepared them well to answer them. So it's, it's a bit of that human intelligence piece that I think gets lost sometimes. And you can use this technology tool or this workflow manager or whatever it is. At some point, it's talk to people and be prepared and inform them and give them really well-rounded information that helps them go do their job. And that just makes you more valuable to them. So I'm hearing is a lot of coaching. For sure. A coaching preparation. And some of that's basic corporate skill. It's if you're going to have a 30 minute call with a senior person, show up prepared and be ready and use that time really well. Don't kind of wander in late and not really know what's going on. If you're going to have a meeting, have an agenda, make sure people know what the agenda is first. Right. And to me, that's basic 
surviving in a corporate environment kind of advice, but I think it, it's really, really important in media relations and in marketing too, because so many organizations, you have a lot of people that don't understand or necessarily value marketing. And so you have to sell them on it to some degree. And the more well-prepared you are in bringing new information to the table, maybe steering things or spinning things in a way, I don't like to use the word spin because that sounds like you're making it inauthentic, but let's say crafting a story around otherwise mundane information in a way that inspires people, even in just your day-to-day -day interactions with different groups in a company, right? You may be talking to engineering people, you may be talking to sales, you may be talking to leadership, you might even be talking to people on the HR side who just want to know what's the company doing outside of these four walls. The more that you're able to tell stories to those people that resonate, the more valuable they're going to find your whole function in the company and start to understand. It's like, wow, these are people, really the people that go and communicate our value out to the world and make our brand into something bigger than it otherwise would be and take all the really hard work that people in the engineering groups or the sales teams or the solution delivery teams are doing and turn that into a story that someone can digest that doesn't require an engineering degree to understand. And I think that you want to do a really good job of preparing and communicating and summarizing things so that that's the effect that you leave people with. Yeah, I mean, you could say instead of spin, just a different perspective. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and just uh, putting it in terms that make sense, probably more succinctly than I'm doing on this podcast. You're doing great. I mean, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. So right. you at least have one person. But how difficult could be generating buzz, and what tips can you have for? Com professionals on highlighting their work for clients and companies. Cause I've been in situations when I've worked with like PC peripheral companies where I'm doing a lot of work, but they're like thinking that I'm doing absolutely nothing sometimes. I absolutely understand. So uh, I think if you boil it down to the simplest thing possible, deliverables are useful. And what I mean by deliverables are, you know, we publish this many articles, we produce this many white papers, right? That you kind of start there. Look at the mountain of work that we just produced to tell the company's story. There's that, right? There's the whole category of data that we talked about before, which is how many pickups of this story went out there? How many times was our press release picked up? How many clicks did that bring back to our website? If you're in the comms team and somebody else owns, let's say the measurement of web traffic, get to know that person, go have lunch with them, make sure that you're buddies with that person. So when you need a report customized for you, because you don't necessarily have access through the firewall to that set of tools, like make sure you know that person and that you get that information and you can use it and know what you're asking for. I mean, having some familiarity with that tool yourself so that you know how to ask for the right thing and leave nothing to guesswork and be very literal about it. In other words, I think can be very, very important as well. So I think having all of those pieces pulled together is pretty simple. And then once you have those data points and you start trying to tell a story around it that otherwise might sound like you're buttering the muffin, well, you're not. There's really a muffin and there's really butter there. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got a real story that you're telling and you've got tangible facts to prove what you've done and you can point back the value. And then certainly if you can put a number on it, Earned media is a good one. If you can put a legitimate dollar value on the earned media that you generated, that's a good one. 
that's a really easy way for people, especially people that are very tied into numbers and finance and business, you know, to put a value on something that you did that's helpful. But I think also some of it is just don't be ashamed to tell your own story. That doesn't mean that you have to be a shameless self-promoter. It doesn't mean that you do nothing but slap your lips and try to sell how great you are. I think it's really about look at what this team is producing and what we're delivering. And we feel confident about it. That's why we're doing it. And we're not afraid to share that message in the organization and let you guys know we have your back. So if you're out there in a client account and you're selling something and something comes up and you need someone to move fast to get you a piece of material that helps with sales enablement or is third-party validated stuff that shows, yeah, we really can do this thing that we just demonstrated for you. That's useful for them to know. And again, that's internal networking. That's, that's helping your constituencies, like your own sales team, know how to use you and not assuming that they know how or they know who to call or that when they're super busy, they're going to stop and think, hey, maybe I should call my media relations director and get some information from them. They may never have done it before. Let them know. Hey, happy to do this. And, and the best way to do that is not just actually reaching out to those people and emailing them or calling them or communicating with them in that way. But if you're at like an event, you know, a lot of times, especially if you're in analyst relations, media relations, you're out at a big event like Mobile World Congress, and a lot of your salespeople are there, go talk to them. Sit down, talk to them, get to know them, do personal things with them, develop that personal relationship. That's what then pays benefits. And that's networking in your company. In a lot of ways, it's marketing for your team inside your company. So the common theme here is relationships I keep on hearing. Absolutely. Relationships with the media, relationship with your client, relationships with your management, relationships with your peers you know, with people who are big influencers within your company because they own major accounts, things like that. Those personal relationships are the most valuable thing, in my opinion. It's the most valuable thing that you're going to have and be able to use along the way to be successful in your role and to make sure other people understand how that success is contributing to their success. What is one thing you would like to tell them from all this? Well, I, I think I've kind of beaten a dead horse on the internal networking and meeting people. So I won't necessarily repeat that again, though I just did, but read a lot. I think that's a really important one. It's going back to preparation. You got to read a lot. You got to know what's happening in your industry. You obviously need to know what's happening in your company as well, but really knowing like what's happening in your industry, how are analysts and reporters talking about different trends What's the latest storylines and the latest news? And part of the reason you need to consume all of that, one, it's just because you want to make yourself more knowledgeable and as much of an expert in your field as you can. But two, there can be a really big gap, especially in tech, between what the buzz is around certain technologies and what the discussion is in the media or in analyst circles around it and the practical things that happen on the ground within your clients and what they're actually deploying. There, that gap gets pretty big. I mean, 5G is a good example of that. It's a huge gap between what you hear C-levels out in keynotes talking about what 5G is going to usher in the fourth industrial revolution versus what's the actual implementation status of that now, which is eh, not a ton. So, you know, understanding that gap, it's twofold. One is understanding, obviously, all of the, the buzz and the language and knowing how to fit into the story is part of it. The other part of it, though, is when you understand that gap, the sort of myth versus reality gap, that's value that you automatically bring to the table for all of these different stakeholders we're talking about. So I think, again, it's read, read, read. It's, it's a hugely important takeaway, especially as you're coming up through the ranks. Try to be an expert 
as much as you can, seems like. Yes. And what are some skills that people who are comm directors should brush up on? Be a good writer. Be a good interpersonal salesperson. If we're talking about, and I don't mean selling product, I mean selling the message to people internally and getting them on board with where you're going. You want to be really knowledgeable about where to get the best information. So I was just talking about read, read, read. We live in a world where you're overwhelmed by information. And I don't know that there's only, you were talking about templates before. I don't know that there's a template to say, well, this is really your most trusted source. Some of it is which outlets, because a lot of them share a lot of the same or similar information. Which outlets work best for you? Do you find most efficient to interact with or to get information from? I think just having that skill set. So that's not so much reading or writing. It's a little bit more of understanding the sources and where you want to get your information from. I think that that's sort of an intangible skill you want to try to develop. And then the other one is, has maybe nothing to do with your job per se, or nothing to do with your industry per se, but understand basic elements of storytelling. And to me, that comes from watch well-produced films or well-produced TV series and look at them for how they structure their elements of storytelling and how they create a story arc. You know, read classic literature or just read good novels that, you know, read what you want to read. I think when you see how good storytellers do the job, it doesn't really matter what the story's about. The elements are kind of the same. And a lot of the understanding of how to get into a reader's head and use things that they understand to create pictures, I think that that's a really critical skill that sometimes people don't necessarily tie together. Yeah, you're watching Netflix or you're playing video games and you really enjoy those stories or you think about how those stories were made and how you can use that technique in your own content creation or your own story creation, you should. I think it's really helpful. And do you think like bad storytelling or bad TV shows or bad movies with bad stories can actually help you as well with teaching you what doesn't really work? You know, there's a weird effect to that. That's a funny question. There's a weird effect to that because sometimes bad storytelling works with certain audiences really well. Quickly, I'll tell you a story that one of the things that we needed to do for Mobile World Congress last year was to create a sizzle reel, a 60-second to two-minute video that was selling the message of the company or selling the messages that we had defined for the event. And the first one that we scripted was taking sort of a cinematic approach, and it was very metaphorical. And our main signatory for that in the company was someone who was more from the sales side and was very, very straightforward and didn't really understand that kind of nuance or metaphor and didn't understand that if we're talking about digital transformation, that the transformation part was maybe more important than the digital part. And then that had a lot of themes and imagery that could go along with it to make a very compelling sizzle reel, which is just sort of to warm up the crowd. He was of a mindset that anything that we should be talking about should be pitching what the company does and its products in a very literal sense. And that's often not the way that I personally go about telling stories. And so for a minute, I was sort of caught flat-footed and saying, okay, how am I going to go ahead and re-script this video? And so I went and I actually went on YouTube and I started looking for really in-your-face TV commercials and how they were scripted and how did they tell their story, which if something's good or bad, I think it's that's sort of subjective. Is it effective to the audience? I don't know. And, and I actually ended up looking at commercials like Flex Seal and the South Beach Diet 
it provided a model for doing something that was just very straightforward and linear. It may not have been the way that I preferred to tell the story, but the guy who was responsible for approving it loved that approach and it worked. So in a really weird backward way, sometimes what you might think is really awful, bad storytelling with certain audiences, it works really well. And if you think about it, using a method of like looking at really big national TV campaigns, usually there's a lot of data science behind that. And people study the psychology of the message that they're trying to tell. So you're leveraging that. You're not repeating all of it. You're leveraging the work that they already did and saying, hey, there's a reason they're telling the story this way. It may not be the way I want to tell it, but it doesn't invalidate it. So, okay, yeah, I think this is bad storytelling. I'm going to use it to my advantage. Sometimes it works. So understand the people you're giving your message to could determine if it's quote unquote good or bad. For sure. I mean, part of it is understanding your audience and then understanding who your audience actually is, right? So in this case, I felt like our audience was relatively sophisticated C-level people that were coming to an executive summit. And that was why I wanted to do something a little bit more cinematic and metaphorical. What I overlooked was the fact that the person who really was my first audience who had to sign off on it was one of our own executives who didn't consider himself that way. Lesson learned. All right. And with that, any final thoughts for our listeners? Maybe it's worth saying again that you can't, especially in this environment where there's so much focus on using the new tool or focus on social media, looking at a staring at a screen, right, is such a big part of what everybody does. Again, would emphasize those interpersonal relationships and just good old reading, knowing, making yourself an expert. Those are probably the two most valuable things you can consistently do in whatever industry, whatever role that you're in, in whatever medium you're working in, you can't really replace those two things. Mm, some sound advice. Thanks, Ed, for being our guest on PR360. Thank you, Brett. Really appreciate the time. You're welcome. And for our audience, question for you guys, what was your best moment or how did you continue a hot story that you didn't know was a hot story? Let us know on social media. Also, please subscribe to PR360 on all the popular podcasting directory sites. That is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and more. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR tech industry. I'm your host, Brett Deister, and have a good week. Later, guys.